You're listening to the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Good evening and welcome to this week's Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and apologies if you missed last week's show. There was a bit of a technical hitch in the system and for some reason music went out instead of the show. So it was aired last Wednesday evening instead. And just to let you know, there is a repeat of Best Possible Taste on Wednesday mornings from 9am to 10am. So tonight we're going to hear from Ardy Clifford from the and Irish Food Awards. A Skype call all the way to the north coast of Andromulla allows to hear about the recently refurbished manor house on Rathlin Island. And a trip to Limerick allows me to find out about the food experiences on offer by a horse and carriage. A reminder about how you can get in touch with me here at The Best Possible Taste. I'm always delighted to hear from you. And you can drop me a line to s.noonan at live.ie or alternatively, I'm on Twitter with my nickname, Queen of Organisation. And you'll find me there as at Queen of Org. So tonight, we're going to hear first from Ardy Clifford. Ardy is the chair of the Blossnairan Irish Food Awards and he was in Limerick recently giving a talk during a new food series hosted by Bank of Ireland. So let's have a listen to the chat I had with him before his presentation. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Ardy, I can't believe Blossnairan is 10 years this year. What a milestone. Oh, it's big one for Sharon, yeah. Um... It's grown over the last 10 years. Um, it's very exciting that we've got to our 10th year. It shows the belief that uh, the consumers and the producers have in BLOSS for a non-profit organisation to get to this stage. Um, we're certainly very happy and we're looking forward to a very big big year and a big event. Tell us how it all started and why you decided to, to do the awards back in, was it 2007? Well, 2007 was the percolation of the idea and... Uh, 2008, I believe, was our first year. So it started as all things in Ireland do, conversation, um, bemoaning the fact that we didn't have an accreditation scheme or an award scheme in Ireland. And I was a producer at the time, and I wanted to get a clap on the back for the wonderful products that I was making. Um, So the solution was um, nobody's going to do it, so we started it ourselves, um, only to learn that we could never win a Blossom Heron Award. Um, and spent the first year shaking hands with our competitors. The irony of it. Oh, uh, yeah. But, yeah. And what products were you making then? We were making uh, a range of seafood soups and pâtés, and we also did a smoked fish, mackerel, and um, salmon. What about the lamb burger? When did it come on stream? Uh, the lamb burger came on stream about four years ago. Um, that's the day job. Um, I run a, an outside catering business um, and work at farmers' markets. So I got together with a very good friend of mine. We were talking about um, the quality of meat on the peninsula. So we now do lamb burgers and uh, beer sausages. So we only source the lamb on the peninsula. So um, we have our contact with the slaughterhouse. So we ensure that the lambs are bought at Dingle Mart. And then they're slaughtered now in Cologlin because the other slaughterhouse closed down. And we gave them the recipe, but we don't give them the blend of spices. So we keep that in the kilner jar and only send out limited amounts. Very clever indeed. Mm. Now, people might not realise, but you actually started out as a fisherman in Drogheda, is that right? That's right. Um, I left school on a Friday and uh, I went to sea on a Sunday evening. I spent over 20 years at sea um, and that's probably what led me into... As I got older and the winters got harder, um, I got the offer of a job to work as a maintenance engineer in a local fish factory. Um, I worked there for a number of years and in 2003, um, the managing director retired, asked me to run the company, had a look at the books, saw it wasn't feasible and uh, closed it down and opened up on value-added products. Was this in Drogheda or? No, this was in Dingle. This was because you were fishing in Drogheda and then you decided to move to um, Dingle? Yeah, I came ashore um, for about a year and a half to work um, with a Mechanelec installation company and didn't like it. Wanted to get back to sea, um, wanted to broaden my horizons. The Dingle fleet uh, was growing at the time. Um, they were going from smaller boats to bigger boats with the fact then that they needed engineers and skippers. So I applied for a job uh, over the phone, um, did the interview over the phone uh, on a Tuesday and I was in Dingle by Thursday. Wow. Mm. And did you go down yourself initially or did Linda and the girls come with you? Um, initially I spent a year on my own 
um, in Dingle because I was at sea and travelling backwards and forwards to Drogheda um, whenever the weather was bad. And Linda said that the next time I was coming ashore that uh, she would make the journey down. She packed the two girls into the car at the time and uh, came down for a weekend. She felt like she'd come home. Um, I went back to sea. She went back to Drogheda. She put the house in the market and it was sold before I came ashore. Wow. That's amazing. Such yeah. a great story. What year was that? It's 25 years ago. It's uh, I suppose that's 92. Because, of course, you had two girls then and now you have three. We have three. We yeah. were, the youngest girl, Rachel, was uh, she's a Kerry-born. Kerry-born yeah. and bred. So last year then was a very special year because you were getting ready for and starting to think about what you're going to do to celebrate the 10th. So do you have any special plans that we can look forward to in October? Last year was the first year that we included the um, master classes on the Friday. So we paired Bloss back to um, its bare bones um, and concentrated on the producers and the buyers um, from the judging session forward. So we made it uh, a little bit more social, but if you think of a producer travelling a long distance, four or five hours sometimes in a car, you know, you've got to give them more than a reason than just to sit in an auditorium hoping that their name is called. Um, so all the finalists arrived down, I think we had representatives from over four or five hundred companies. We had buyers from both at home and abroad and other, you know, movers and shakers in the industry. So we ran four masterclasses um, last year, one which was on branding and packaging, although packaging is not part of our judging. It's still very important for a product to be placed and how that's done. So we were very fortunate to have a team from Greenhouse and Cork um, come and give a masterclass. And then we had two sessions afterwards uh, one was which was um, what the buyer wants, so it was kind of, uh, we had a group of buyers on the stage and an interactive session with the audience asking questions. Um, a lot of the time, um, buyers are probably just like ourselves, but if you're in food production, you know, they can make a huge difference to your life. So finding out exactly um, how to meet the buyer, so that's something we plan in more in-depth this year. We also had what the chef wants because a lot of our companies would be um, in the food service end of things and it's kind of how to deal with the chefs, um, how to talk to a chef, you know, um, sometimes it's about quality but sometimes it's about money so um, it was important to get that message across. Um, so this year one of the things we hope to do is we hope to build another area on the, I know you know the the location quite well Sharon but we're going to build an area on the other side of the street which will be um, a breakout networking centre for the producers so a lot of producers that come down and maybe don't know anybody um, will have a chance to interact and network with among themselves and also get a chance to just have a coffee with a buyer or a journalist or somebody who will make a difference to their business. Because there is such an opportunity there to meet new people or put the, the face to the name or the face to the tweet, for example, because a lot of food producers would be interacting on social media. And the award, you know, that's great to get an award, but it's what you do with that afterwards that really can can really add value to your business. Yeah, I don't think it's, um, it's not beneficial to a business just to come down and get the clap on the back and walk away um, and take the glass down once and now and again just to dust it. They have to shout about um, the quality of their product. Um, they have to make sure that the award works for them. Um, we also, um, I know that we give out our phone numbers and emails quite quickly and they're always at the end of a phone or at the end of a, a laptop um, to support producers. So we, what we kind of look at now is the aftercare package. So it's how the producers are doing, um, continually you know, talking to buyers, asking them what they're looking for, keeping an eye on products, um, publishing the directory, um, we've done that for the past three years. We um, print 10,000 copies of a buyer's directory, which is circulated through shelf life. So 8,000 copies go out direct to buyers. Um, and we have had stories back from producers saying, um, you know, we got a phone call from Switzerland. We're now supplying 12 shops in Switzerland. So we know that that works. Um, the other thing we hope to do this year is to run maybe a workshop on the sustainability of your business and that's not just the financial aspect. There's also um, the stress and strain that small producers are under 
and we'd like to bring that into it. So maybe uh, somebody who can give um, a talk on giving the producer a toolkit to manage their day, you know, to say to take time in the morning. Um, small producers are often very, very lonely. Um, they're the driver, they're the manager, they're the financial controller, they're the charge of marketing, and it can be very stressful. So um, we're very conscious of the pressure the producers are under. Um, and we'd like to sort of look into that and investigate that and see how we can help. You mentioned packaging there and you said that that's not part of the judging criteria. You've developed a very special way of judging in conjunction with UCC. Yeah, um, back in 2008 we sat down with uh, Professor Joe Kerry. Uh, He's head of the School of Food and Nutrition in UCC and now our academic director, so um, any questions we have in relation to the academics of it. So what we did was we tried to design a judging system for food which is unique um, and it's also very fair, so it's stripping it back to the basics of the product and let the product do the work, let the product, that's what's being judged, it's not how fancy the packaging is or how big a marketing budget you have, so it, it, it leaves a situation where it's a very simple system but it's very fair so small producers and big producers can be competing on a level playing field um, we strip away the packaging but we also uh, send one sample to a separate part of the university and the packaging is actually judged and we do award for design and innovation um, because we recognize the importance of that but it no way impacts on the product itself which is judged um, which will get it to the finals or maybe receive a gold silver or bronze so the, in terms of criteria then for getting the silver, gold, bronze, it's all to do with taste? It's all to do with um, appearance, aroma, taste, texture, overall satisfaction and consumer relevance. And judges mark that out of... They of score on a scale between 1 and 10, so um, it can go from 0 upwards. Um, but in the judging system, um, we separate... What's unique about the way we judge is the opinion of the judges what matters to us. So therefore there is no um, adjudicators. Um, the scoring, the tables are set out of six to eight judges per table. And it's set out in a way that each judge sitting beside another judge but they're not judging the same product. But that's replicated over each table. So if you can imagine that um, on the day of final judging when there's possibly five or six hundred products coming through for judging, that we're doing, we're serving 72 diners, a 30 course tasting menu, and there's 12 menus. So the logistics of it are quite large, but we've come up with a system, we know it works, and we're very fortunate to have the assistance of um, GMIT, CIT, and UCC, and IT truly. So all the products in the kitchen which require cooking are cooked by um, lecturers in culinary arts at IT Lee. Um, the products are then handled by um, fourth-year students of the uh, culinary arts, so the presentation, um, so the product, the, the appearance of the product, which is important because the criteria arrives to the judge in its best possible condition at its optimum, um, I suppose, not temperature, but in a way you would like to serve it. Now, you've got to remember that we have to go by the instructions the producer gives us because that's how it's going to be handled when it actually arrives into a household. Absolutely, yeah. Mm. Where do you get your judges? They come from all different walks of life, I believe. Yeah, um, we would have, obviously we'd have um, chefs, we'd have independent retailers, and by independent retailers I say they're not allied to any one of the franchises, so the likes of, um, we'd have, fortunately we've had the last 10 years, Anne Dunn, who's one of the main buyers for Harrods in the UK, has been judging for us. Um, we would have academics, we would have um, food journalists, and also into that mix we would have um, enthusiastic home cooks because you need the demographic of those judges to get the product judged fairly. So when the scoring um, is done, it's inputted, the macros in the back of the package will allow for, if a judge is saying that six is wonderful, and we, the system will recognise that, saying that that's actually an eight, and I'll allow for that. But we score down to um, three decimal points, 
and that's often a difficulty in the primary judging in Cork and then again in the secondary. So that's why you might see um, instead of five finalists, six finalists, because if it's down to winning, you know, a second decimal point, it's unfair of us to say that, you know, it shouldn't get a second round of judging. An interesting thing is that the second round of judging often mirrors the first round. Um, so it proves that by doing it through the sensory analysis, using sensory analysis boots in a very sterile environment in the university and then replicated in a sort of a social judging um, atmosphere, that the opinions of the judges, although they're two separate panels, are very much the same. You're open for entries at the moment since St. Patrick's Day. What advice do you have for producers whenever they decide to take the plunge and enter? Okay, well, the easiest thing to do is you go online to our website. So it's Blasna Hair and the Irish Food Awards. Um, go to online entry, study the categories. Um, and I will also say to look at what categories were available before. As you know, um, in year one, we had 36 categories. Last year, we had 121. And although the accountant won't like to hear this, there's possibility that we'll have maybe one or two more categories. Um, we recognise the trends and the changes in foods, but it's also, we, we have to recognise that it's unfair to judge two products side by side. For instance, uh, in beef, we would have two categories. So you've got prime and you've got beef other. Um, obviously, if you put a fillet steak and a hamburger side by side, people are gonna say that the fillet steak is better. But that's not to say it's better than the hamburger. So we've got to adapt to the changes and the trends. Um, I think Ready Meals is now in eight divisions. So you've got to recognize that there's hot vegetarian, cold vegetarian, hot seafood, cold seafood. So um, what I would say to a producer is uh, look at the categories. Um, enter as soon as possible uh, I would say we're open for entries until the 14th of June but we close the early bird offering on the 30th of April how much um, is a tenter? it's 60 euros plus fat at the moment and then that will rise to 70 euros plus fat um, after the 1st of May um, we're very conscious um, we've kept the entry fee in comparison to other award systems very very low because being having been a producer, I'm conscious that 70 euros could be the diesel in demand for the week. So, um, but what we've seen since opening on the 17th of March is we've seen, I suppose there's four times the amount of entries um, this time as there was this time last year. A lot of new producers coming on, uh, which is wonderful to see. And then in the mix, um, producers who've been with us and entering and winning for many years. Um, and they're still looking for that accreditation. They're still looking for that clap on the back. Um, if there's an area, if a producer has a difficulty and they can't quantify where their product should be, they can always send us an email and we'll try and help them to make that decision. Although ultimately the decision is the producers. Of all the entries over the past 10 years, can you pick out one really standout product that was your personal favourite? Every year, the standard of... Um, Irish food and this, the, the, the passion that the producers put into the product shines through every year. Um, personal favours, no, I don't have a personal favourite. I think that anything that has reached the final stage is um, worthy of recognition. And that's what we're seeing. We're seeing more and more producers saying, you know, I reached the finals. And to reach the finals is um, an accreditation in itself. Because remember, you're in the top five in a category where there might be 70 or 80 other products entered. So, um, again, Sharon, no, I can't say that they have personal favourites. They all have wonderful stories behind them. I read a story recently about the foods of Ath and Rye and they got, they got an award in the first year and they said they had no idea how it was going to change their business. Yeah. Um, and to the extent that Siobhan called us last year to say, you know, we're not going to enter anymore. Um, and I wasn't disappointed because I think Bloss had done for Siobhan and Paul what it possibly could. Um, when you've got John Cleese tweeting about how wonderful your um, shortbread is, uh, you know, I think, I think you've gone 
as far as you're going to go. I was recently in London and in all the high-end stores. I'm seeing um, Foods of Atten Roy. And I'm delighted. And that's what it has meant. And that's what it can do for a business. It can just give you that little bit of a lift to say you're doing the right thing, but also then highlight it. Um, we have products now um, going out as far as Singapore. Um, a recent brochure I was made aware of listed um, that they only stock Irish award-winning foods and they credit Blossom Heron with that. Well, that just says it all, doesn't it? Congratulations on the 10th year and I'm looking forward to visiting Dingle in October to, to be a judge again. It's been a privilege being part of it for the mm-hmm. past number of years and continued success. Thank you, Sharon. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste with me, Sharon Noonan. Just before the break, you heard me talking to Ardy Clifford, Chair of the Blossnair and Irish Food Awards at the Bank of Ireland Food Series in Limerick. And next week, we'll find out more about that food series from Bank of Ireland's John Doyle. Don't forget, if you've missed any of the shows so far, it will be up in the podcast later in the week and you'll find it on the website SharonNoonan.com or you can also subscribe to it free of charge on iTunes and download it and you can also use the podcast app. Still to come tonight, I'll be talking to the lovely Sarah Evans about the culinary experiences available by horse and carriage in Limerick City. Next, though, I'm pressing the Skype button to put a call into Rathlin Island. In March, for International Women's Day, I hosted a lovely dinner in the mustard seed at Ballangari in Echo Lodge. And on the evening, we had a raffle to raise some money for our local community radio station here. And one of the prizes was a stay at the recently refurbished Manor House on Rathlin Island. So let's Skype Brian McLernan, who is the proprietor of the Manor House, to find out what the lucky winner has to look forward to on their visit. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleiter. Brian, thanks a million for joining me all the way from Rathlin Island today, up there in the North Antrim coast. How did you end up on the island? Well, my wife, Genevieve, Genevieve my wife and I have a, a B&B in Ballet Castle and... They were looking for somebody to operate the new manor house. They're completely refurbished. So we said we could do that. And pardon the pun, but we pushed the boat out to see if I would go and stop in Church Bay and Rathlin End. And we were given the chance to be the operators of this place here. So so we're in here since Christmas and we're starting to hit the ground and get ready. Have you relocated but, then over to the island? Yes, near enough. Well, the home's still home, but... I can actually lie in my own bed at home and look out and I can see the manor house. And I can lie in the manor house and look out and I can see my house. You know, so I've spent about five, six nights in Bali Castle since Christmas. I'd be here, I have a small boat of my own, me and a mate have a boat of our own and we'd be over here all the time out around the place fishing. And I went to school with a lot of these guys, so I know them. So it's just an extension of Bali Castle in a sense, really. So you're born and bred in Ballycastle? Born and bred, right. Mm-hmm. For somebody that has never been to Rathlin Island, just set the scene for us and describe what it's like over there. Literally, put it in a few short words, it's a little piece of heaven just sitting out in the middle of the Irish Sea. And it's the, it's this, we can sit out here and look back and the whole world just goes round you. And as I said to somebody else, just leave your watch in the boat because time, time stands still here. You've plenty of time. Just do what has to be done and stop and enjoy and relax. This is what it's all about. Take people, come back to reality. Just come back to reality, literally, and take in time and just stop. And what's the world going mad about in race? There are race out there, but here uh, you can sit back and relax. And now that we're open, you can come and stay, bed, breakfast, evening meal, good food, local seafood produce, big thing, big thing, and that. We're actually setting our menus as we speak. We're doing uh, local crab, local lobster, all the local fishes. We're stepping up and doing squid and all these sort of things. Anything that's from the sea, we'll be cooking it. And it's all coming in. Literally, I can look down, see the boat, and literally shout out the wonder to reach me up and two two fresh lobster. No air miles then to talk about. <laughs> the, the lobster could almost walk in the front door themselves if they, if they if they knew the road in and the crab. With beautiful crab cakes, we're doing fish cakes, uh, we're doing scallops, and coming out of the sea, we'll be getting it and we'll have it here in this end. 
You said that you're a fisherman yourself, so does that mean that you might even be fishing for some of the produce yourself? I only fish as a hobby, but that's what I want to do here. I have a, I have a boat of our own. We, we prepared, we'll be taking this part of a step up this. I've done it at home in North at Valley Castle. Take a man, two or three wains out fishing, let them catch their own fish, let the young bucks catch their fish, and they can have it that night for their tea. A completely novel and new experience for some people, I'd say, that have never had the opportunity to do something like that. Well, in my eyes, uh, you know, not not just for the children, but for anybody, a lot of people have never fished in their life. And to, to feel that wee pull on the line, to feel that wee pull on the line and tug, 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 just the, the fresh fish sitting down there, is fantastic. And then, especially when it's a child, to see the delight in their face as they pull up on that fresh fish, you know, and they just want to do more and more and more. They'll remember the day they caught their first fish. They'll never remember the time they caught their first mobile phone or they caught their first mobile phone, you know. And that just goes back to children again. I was rare to say in Ballet Castle and all, during the, the early 60s, we give we donkeys of our own, we give donkey rides down to the seafront. So I've been talking to tourists and dealing with tourists since I was no height. And my brothers all done it before me too. I'm the youngest of my family of eight. I have six brothers and two sisters. So we're rare into this sort of business. The thing I can do is I can talk about something too much. That is always, always an asset. So it is, Brian, always an asset. Yeah. Tell me about your visitors to Ballycastle and to the island then. Where do they come from? Are they international? Are they from other parts of Ireland? Is it a mixture of the two? At the minute, because it's... Because it's Autumn here, we a lot of people just from our own shores coming across. But the, we had a crowd in there on Saturday morning for an Irish coffee trail, and uh, they are American tourists. And their guy with them, he's doing a grand tour, and he's asked us when to see did he start booking. We said, if you're booking for right American tourists, come over here. We start booking now for 20, 2018. But we intend the whole, the eyes of the world will be in this place very soon because we're going to lift it and put it on the map and mark Raffin Island on the map. It's already on the map, but that's in a sense it's a hidden gem and it's Northern Ireland's best kept secret. But we want everybody to know how good this place is. It's exclusive and we're going to make it even better. Although I'm from Ballymena, which isn't that far from Ballycastle, I've actually only been to Rathlin Island once and it was a good few years ago and I did stay in the manor house and at the time I had a fantastic time. The food and everything is ec- was excellent. Tell me how it has changed now with the refurb. It's completely refurbished. All uh, all new bedrooms, all every bedroom's now on suite with a brand new big kitchen in there with a, a cafe and with a, a big restaurant and it's all just, it's all turnkey. We come in, it was turnkey. There's been almost a million pounds spent on this. There's a new big ferry, a new a new, new ferry just arrived in last week, built down in Arklow, and there's a brand new big pier being built for to accommodate that. So then the bird tank is ready to open up. They've improved the road up to it for visitors and tourists. So it's all ready just for the tourism. This is all we have in the north of Ireland. It's tourism, tourism, tourism. It's, it's all we ever had and it's all we ever will have, you know, but that's all we want. We don't want this place spoiled by, by man, to tell you the truth, because it's just wonderful. It's as God, it's as God made it and that's it. And access to the island is by boat only? Yeah, yeah, unless you're a strong swimmer. There's no helicopter landing pad or an airfield oh. or anything like that on it? The only time a helicopter lands here is an emergency evacuation or somebody takes a serious illness in the middle of the night if it's a broken limb or something out there, the boat is called and they're emerging and immediately. But if it's very, very serious, they just ring the, the helicopter and uh, arrive here. And the boat trip over, you can take a speedboat over. That's how I went over that time. And it was only about 10 or 15 minutes, if even. Well, the new the new fast ferry is here now this few years and it can, it can do it in 20 minutes. Oh, wow, the okay. Big, the new big ferry, maybe half an hour, but it's free. It does passengers and free it. You did but have one very famous visitor dropped in literally out of a hot air balloon a good few years ago. I did, Richard Branson. He couldn't wait to get down, so he jumped into the sea. He fell into the sea just to get and swim here a bit quicker. So <laughs> he uh, he's a big uh, affiliation with the island too, yeah. Which is, must be fantastic in terms of financial support for a few of the projects that have taken place over the years. 
Yeah, he's got a soft spot for us, and there's a big centre just next door to us here, the Branson Centre. He did a lot of money to get that up and running, and it was a place for the old people to go originally. And just sit down of a natter, and this is their home, and that's it. They have to be, and them's the ones that I want to, you know, whenever the visitors come here, I get some of the older residents down just for a bit of yarn and maybe a bit of soda and a bottle of stout or something. Just let them sit and tell their tales of history and how this place was. That's in fact, I'm just looking out at the. The marker here for the drake, and that's 100 years now in October since it, was, it went down in Church Bay. So a lot of the old ones, they don't know, they don't remember it, but they heard their people talking about the drake being the time the drake sunk right in the bay there during the 1917, during the war. So there's lots of different stories and anecdotes that people can share with visitors, which means that visitors can enjoy a really authentic experience. Yeah, around this island is actually full of wrecks because literally we are a, just an island right in the middle of the Atlantic and if there's heavy fog, this island, you know, and them days they hadn't the same navigation equipment. They just hit this place and like, there's hundreds of wrecks around this island that they know about and there's a few, few very, very famous books about it and some of them are great, great, unbelievable detail about the wrecks that there and great fishing places, you know, over the top of a wreck or near a wreck and great fantastic diving facilities too or sites for, for, for diving but again seal the sea's always a challenge you have to know and that's what there's a lot of people around here and around the north Antrim coast who are experienced they have to know these tides and when's a good time to do and when's not you just stay away from it go to a different right different times you also mentioned birds there because i know from my visit that the bird population is considerably more than the human population there but it is it's I mean it's a paradise for bird watchers and bird lovers yeah there's there's actually the bird sanctuary up at the, 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 the west point there uh, the ball point as we would call it the west west light the birds all come in there everybody wants to see the puffins and this past few years have actually been a and there'll be no puffing right there in the middle of them all. You can get up down towards the light if you walk down the steps. A new bird site, there's been new bird site, your house or camp restaurant up there. You can walk down, there's binoculars all along the, the, the railings. You can sit down or, kneel, or look out and watch, look at all the birds and just as if you're ready, you feel you reach out to touch them. And it's just whenever you see them rising and taking off, it's and the noise, and it's just fantastic to see them in their, in their own environment, their natural environment. and they just they get used to people up there. There's a few, I think it was last. There, there was the corn creek was here last year. The cuckoos here. Uh, well, hope they'll be back. And um, all the birds that the red uh, pair of red kites here too. And that's the beauty of it. They're here, but it's faint them sometimes. Well, it sounds like I need to go back for another visit the next time Def- I'm up to the definitely. north. Definitely, come on up. The doors open now. Um, if the doors open up the fire let them just have to leave there wait a minute ago doors open come on ahead I'm waiting for you I look forward to seeing all the changes that have been made but I know that one thing that stays the same is that the good old fashioned hospitality is still there alive and well doors always open there's always a cup of tea in the stove in the stove in the, like the tip it on for you and maybe get you the loaf for a bit of that fight or something come on up well thanks a million for talking to us today Brian and all the best for the coming season pleasure's mine pleasure's mine Listening to the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to the best possible taste with me, Sharon Noonan. So far on the show tonight, R.D. Clifford has been highlighting the impact of entering the Blossnerin Irish Food Awards. And just before the break, Brian McLernan, proprietor of the recently refurbished Manor House on Rathlin Island, was letting us know all about what visitors to the island have to look forward to. If you're just tuning in and want to hear the start of the programme, you can check out the show when it goes up in the podcast later in the week. And you'll find the podcast online at Sharon noonan.com or alternatively subscribe free of charge and download it on iTunes or use the podcast app. Now the next and final interview this evening is with a lovely lady with an equestrian business that identified a business opportunity during a horse and carriage ride on holiday. Sarah Evans runs Limerick Carriage Tours and I met up with her last week in the city. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Sarah, thanks a million for meeting me to tell me about Limerick Carriage Tours, a very interesting and new concept in the middle of Limerick City. 
Thank you very much for having me. Delighted to be here and really thankful for the support and coverage that a small business, um, you know, home-based business uh, gets because we don't have those big marketing budgets that the other, you know, big guys do. So this is wonderful for us, you know. Well, you might not have lots of money for marketing, no. but you do have lots of experience yes. in the equestrian world. Tell us a bit about yourself and your background. Well, originally I'm actually Canadian-born. I grew up in Vancouver and at the age of 18, uh, headed for London, um, spent several years there training as a British Horse Society riding instructor, um, met my uh, Limerick-born husband there, uh, he brought me back to Limerick and we opened up an equestrian centre in Kuna and ran that for you know quite a few years and um, I think anyone that's involved with horses will know that you know the injuries start to pile up and uh, in 2013 I had to undergo hip surgery and it just coincided with uh, the development the new promenade along the river in Limerick and King John's underwent a, a massive uh, transformation and I just remember sitting in the office of my surgeon and he basically said you know you're going to have to find something else to do your body can't take this anymore and I had just come back from a holiday in Prague and enjoyed a wonderful carriage tour of the city and I just I suppose the brain started working overdrive and I thought this would be lovely for Limerick along the the riverfront and the historical parts you know the medieval and Georgian quarters and um, so I put two and two together went to my local uh, enterprise office wonderful support there uh, Berga Fulham couldn't thank her enough. Um, her words of wisdom still ring in my, around in my head. Um, and they supported me and, and gave me backing and uh, really took off from there. And City Hall were excellent as well. Uh, Rory McDermott, uh, wonderful, helped me a lot. Um, and Limerick.ie. Because there is some act, isn't there, in Limerick? You just can't come in, in your, with, with your pony no, into Limerick. No, uh, there's a, the Horse Act uh, was brought in in 2013, and really it was just to curb illegal uh, act, you know, people flying around the roads on sulkies and keeping the horses in the backyard. Uh, I think it really kind of won it for, for, for me, because I was a stranger going in there, didn't know who I was, uh, was at the Kuna Equestrian Centre, uh, we predated the Horse Act, so our equestrian centre is in fact the only legal place in the city environs you can actually keep a horse. And, uh, you know, I kind of kept reminding them of that. So they had to do something for me. Um, there was a bit of a loophole there. Then. There was a loophole, and so you have to exploit these when you're trying to, to get something done. But um, understandably, they didn't know who I was and what I was proposing to do. And although it sounded great on paper, you know, was she actually going to, you know, uh, make this a positive uh, impact for the city as opposed to something negative? And... I have to say it, everybody worked out brilliantly and uh, we get great support from them now. The purple flag, you know, when Limerick was being judged, that Limerick is a safe city at night and there's a booming nightlife economy here. The judges were here in Limerick, it was just in early December. So we were asked to um, take the judges around on the carriage uh, as part of the evening's uh, itinerary. Now, they took them. Uh, Magello O'Brien from the Limerick Tourist Office she um, took them, the judges all throughout the city I think it started at 5pm and finished at 5am in the morning we had one aspect, we picked them up uh, at the Curragh Hour and we took them down to Dolan's and then Magella took them on from there uh, but they had, to, they had to see everything in the city what happens in the city after 5pm Let's talk about the carriage because although you enjoyed the experience very much when you were on holiday and that's where the idea came mm. from, there were a few things about that carriage that you felt it was lacking in that you've incorporated into your carriage. So just describe it to us in detail. Yes, yeah, so I suppose, look, when you do anything in business, you always try to set out, uh, be different from the others, you know, stand out from the crowd. And I knew, obviously, everyone knows about the Jarvis in Killarney. And they have a wonderful offering. Um, they're the Aran Islands. You have carriages in Dublin. But I want to do something different. And um, when we were on the carriage in, in Prague, I was with my family. And I said, wouldn't it be lovely if we could have a drink and maybe a few nibbles? And um, so the idea of a table uh, came into mind. And um, 
when I started shopping around for, for a carriage builder, I came across a company in Poland called Coiltix. Now, they had made the, the Cinderella carriage for the recent uh, Walt Disney movie. So I knew they were very reputable um, and they've won all sorts of awards in Europe for their carriages. So uh, I would contacted Jacek and we had a chat and I flew over and he took me of a tour of the factory and I just knew then this was going, they were going to be the ones that built the carriage and so we had this wonderful table uh, it, it has cup holders you can have a picnic you can bring along a picnic and there's wine coolers and even champagne you can hold those very narrow champagne, uh, champagne flutes and it works brilliant I suppose it attracts a lot of people to the carriage because they like the idea they can either bring along their own drinks and nibbles or they can um, order them from the bars or restaurants. We work with so many different places around the city and, uh, you know, everything is possible. You offer a number of food experiences, including dinner, Irish yes. coffees. Yes. Tell so, us a bit about those. Well, I'm this year... Uh, as a new thing, every year you're trying to think of something new to bring on. So we do a lot of work with the Lock Bar um, and they have the traditional Irish music nights and dancing and they're very popular. And so a lot of the times we might pick up our guests from the Lock, they'll bring a few pints, they might have had dinner beforehand, they might go back for the music. Uh, a new thing we brought on uh, is with uh, Bobby Burns's pub. So for this year we're offering private tours uh, with the dinner package for a very economical 20 euros per head for the dinner um, and we're also doing an Irish coffee making class that you start in Bobby Burns's you do the Irish coffee making class you get to bring along your own sample and taste it afterwards then we come along, you do the carriage tour and you can choose where you want to be dropped you might want to go back to Bobby Burns's you might go on to the lock for your traditional Irish music and dance night, you might be going for dinner in the Keurig hour. You know, there's endless possibilities. Um, and the whiskey tasting is another one that uh, we're doing with Bobby Burns. So you get a taste of three distinct Irish whiskies. And again, that can either be before or after your carriage tour. Um, and even just people bringing along their own picnics. That's very popular. I know over Christmas... Uh, a lot of the families that were coming, the mums were bringing their... It was almost like you'd see them when they're packing up to go to Kilki for the weekend. They were coming along with bags of treats for the kids. And Do you find it is tourists and local people? Is there a good mix between good mix, the two? Yeah, certainly during the high season, June to uh, the end of September, it's predominantly tourists. But, you know, our local uh, people have supported us brilliantly throughout, uh, you know, Christmas, January. We were doing uh, birthdays hens. Last weekend we had two sets of uh, uh, Limerick uh, women. They just wanted something different to do for a night out. Um, and the beautiful thing about the carriage is that you can incorporate it. You can arrange to be collected from your chosen uh, starting point and you can arrange to be dropped off at the, again, your chosen drop-off point. So if it's a ladies' night and they're going for dinner and cocktails, it all works in brilliantly um, with the carriage. And what I love to see is the way that Limerick people, when they're sitting in the carriage and we're passing, um, you know, historical places of interest that maybe they haven't taken much notice of. You know yourself when you're on the school run in the morning, you're zipping here and zipping there, and you haven't realised you've just passed, you know, the former Lord Mayor's residence. Uh, which is a ruin now but you're like oh I didn't know that was there and you act as the tour guide I'm the it. tour guide so I give all the history um, every tour is different some people want more they can't, you can't give them enough history others uh, if it's a busy hen night they're chatting and listening to music but um, they love to stop at the Treaty Stone get out get photos have a giggle I'll give them a little bit of history if that's what they want um, every, like, every tour it's customised to suit the customer so if they want layers and layers of Limerick history they'll get that and if they want to just have a laugh and a giggle they'll get that as well so whatever the customer wants and you have a very special man up front there I with the reels indeed the famous Joe Hogan uh, he'll kill me for saying that because he's extremely modest um, so Joe is known throughout the city um, 
I suppose mostly for he rescued all the people uh, during the floods of 2013. Uh, the island field or St Mary's Park was the worst affected uh, area of the city. You know, in some places, people woke up and found their homes seven feet underwater, and they were trapped upstairs. And there really was no way to rescue them because the only road in and the only road out of St Mary's Park were underwater. So the fire brigade and the army couldn't drive in with their trucks. There were rescue, the search and rescue boats were helping people out, but Ger decided he would get his uh, little carriage and his horses. Um, and he went in and he rescued over 200 people. He started at half seven in the morning and he didn't finish till 10 o'clock at night. And he rescued over 200 of his friends and neighbours. Uh, he became an overnight celebrity because all the television crews sent down, or television stations, sorry, sent down their uh, crews to cover this crazy Irishman uh, rescuing all the people. And um, there was a, um, got to meet the president, Michael D. Higgins, came down to, to thank Jur and thank the horses. And there was a civic reception for him and um, wonderful. And I, it's another aspect of our tour and everybody comments. Strangers look, when we're on the carriage, the amount of people that wave and honk um, and wish us well. That's from Jer, because they don't know me. I'm a blow-in, uh, but it's Jer. And everyone will ask us, who is, why is everyone waving? And, you know, I joke with the Americans. And I say, oh, he's the mayor. <laughs> the two of you are obviously horse lovers. Oh, God, yeah. So, therefore, the welfare of the, the animals is, is very high Paramount. in your agenda. Absolutely. And you were telling me earlier that you're bringing them in from Kuna and that 15 minutes when they come into the city centre is actually very important it in is. terms of a warm-up. It is. So, on the way in, it allows them to warm up, get their back muscles ready to take, you know, weight in the carriage. And certainly on the way home, Ger will give them a loose rein and they'll just kind of warm down and stretch uh, my own background would be uh, sport horses and competition horses, so this is hugely important that this aspect is brought into their work. You can't just bring them cold, nor any athlete, and expect them to start pulling heavy weights. So their warm-up and warm-down are hugely important. We rest them between each uh, tour. The, another thing about our carriage, which is unique, we have a storage box underneath, uh, and I needed this because we need to bring water in. They get um, a lunch. We have a specially designed, uh, nutritionally balanced lunch that won't be too heavy on their stomach because they are working, but they need that. Horses have to eat every four hours. That's the way their digestive system is designed. Um, and uh, so between each tour, they'll be rested. They get a wash down in the summer if it's warm. They'll get groomed. They get a little snack. They get tended to before we do. So they don't, you know, we get lunch after they've been fed um, and we limit, we very much restrict our tours and we pay special attention. For instance, you might have a big eight, maybe eight people on the first tour. The next tour would be followed with maybe a smaller crowd of two and four. Um, and even on the tour route, the horses are stopping constantly. So we stop at the Treaty Stone, the horse gets a break. We'll stop again up in the Georgian Quarter. Uh, if we're on a pub crawl, the horse is constantly being stopped. So she's not going full belt, you know, and, and literally, you know, caught for breath. And it's not always the same horse? Oh, God, no. So we have several horses we use, and we actually um, will alternate the work days. So even in the height of the peak of the season, say in, in mid-July, no one horse will ever work more than three, uh, three sessions. And a session is limited to, say, four tours. So... Um, Say, for instance, Beauty, she might do Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and she'd be on a four tour. That would be her workload. Um, and same with the other horses. They're always alternates. There's always a fresh horse. Uh, the fun part at this time of year is they're just coming in off a... You know, we had, we, we're not that busy in January, February, and March, so they're all fresh. They're like spring lambs leaping around the place. And I joke with Ger because I'm like, you'll have your hands full today. They're a very pretty breed of a horse. Are they oh, they white are gypsy horses? They're Irish gypsy cobs and uh, ideal for this kind of work. Strong, sturdy, but extremely docile. Um, I couldn't imagine using any of my previous mounts, you know, the competition horses. They wouldn't be able for this because in the city, you never know what's around the corner. It could be an ambulance. It could be... Um, you know, roadworks, diggers, um, buses, loud trucks, 
you name it, crowds of people, flags. So you need horses as quiet as a police horse. And I have to say, um, ours are, they're just, it amazes me. I Sometimes I'd be kind of, oh God, and, and Jerry would just be whistling away. But he's done it all his life. He, you know, his family grew up, they, they had coal runs. He spent his youth delivering coal the old-fashioned way with horse and, and, and a four-wheeler. And he knows the roads the back of his hand. Um, I let him do the driving, so he's in charge of the driving and the horse. And I'm in charge of the carriage, as you know, helping the customers and the guests get on and off and looking after them. So it's a great team. Well, the business has gone from strength to strength in a very short space of time because you're only up and running less than two years yes yeah, about two years now yes what's your vision now for it going forward into the future keep developing our ties with our local businesses they're so important for us we're looking at bringing on a um, another high-end luxury carriage but more geared for the twos and fours we get a lot of couples and uh, say fours the carriage we have now can take up eight comfortably um and uh, we, we just, there's definitely a market there for the smaller, uh, you know, the more romantic setting. Um, again, has to be weatherproof because the Irish weather, even in the summer, you, you know, it blows in here. Um, but that's what we're looking at, bringing that on. Um, and, you know, we'll continue with the products, um, with the private tours and the family tours and the hens and the pub crawls because every weekend it's a mixed bag we could have a pub crawl followed by, you know, a historic tour. So you're, and it makes it interesting for us, you know, um, and it's wonderful. So just to keep growing our business, uh, like I say, keep it local and keep working with our other partners in the tourism industry. Well, I have no doubt that it will continue to go from strength to strength. And it's been great to meet you. And thanks so much for telling know, me all about it. Thank you for having us. I really appreciate this. Thank you. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleiter. Great to talk to Sarah and I'm looking forward to taking a spin around the city in her beautiful carriage in the coming months. And that brings us to the end of tonight's show. So thanks very much for listening and to all of tonight's guests, Artie Clifford, Brian McLernan and Sarah Evans. Until next week, bon appétit. <laughs> Do you want to get in touch with the best possible taste? Do you want to come on, share a recipe, review a cookery book, or just have a general chat about what you like to eat and drink? All you have to do is get in touch with me, Sharon Noonan, by sending an email to s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org. Bon appétit.